Well, we're back for Unplugged this week, heading into a big round 17 clash with Fremantle. It is the first of our return matches for the year, our first team that we will play for a second time. It does come a week before we play or before we play the Western Bulldogs for the first time and before we play West Coast for the first time. But such is the nature of, uh, of footy that uh, we are in the, the double stages already in a big game against Fremantle. We were hoping last week when we had to chat about exactly where we were at that it would just take one little uh, rally to turn the tide back around. They got the rally. They got the result. And now we hope that they have, in actual fact, turned the truck back around and they headed the right way. On a number of occasions this year, we've uttered the phrase, that's our worst loss of the year. And we've also uttered the phrase, that's our best win of the year. And I think we probably utter it again. Um, a, a gutsy effort, one where it had a bit of everything. We, we wasted chances early to blow the game wide open and it looked like it might cost us. And then uh, we had to rally when they were missing chances. And then we held our nerve in the face of injuries, which has happened a few times this year and horrific umpiring, which has happened a few times this year as well. But we, uh, we worked our way through. We beat one of the sides we like to beat most, and we kept our chances alive. We were in the eight for two days, fell out at the other hands of both Collingwood and Richmond winning, but still very much in the game. And now with an opportunity to take another big scalp and move ourselves forward again. A really satisfying and relieving Friday night, H, with a, um, a win over a Carlton side that's always pleasant to beat. Oh, I think I was saying last week, it's the one win you, like, at the end of the year, you look back and go, yep, we didn't lose to Carlton. It's a good year. Um, well, I, I wouldn't so, mind beating Essendon occasionally. Yeah, well, <laughs> we know that doesn't happen very often. So, no. <laughs> um, But yeah, Carlton's right at the top of the list, I think. So, um, yeah, it's basically, they've gone out and done what we've asked. We, we, we said, we want to see effort. We want to see commitment. We want to see something different to what we've watched the last three weeks We we went out there and played a completely different game to what we have. We showed a bit of, a bit of toe, a bit of, um, bit of dare, just playing on running the ball instead, instead of this, take a mark, oh, stop, drop back again. Look, going, oh, now we covered. We took the game on and we, we ran over the top of them and, and, it's the sort of football we've been watching earlier in the year and going, this football will beat any team out there. And then for some reason, we just stopped playing it. But yeah, we brought it back last week and you sort of look and go, let's just do that every week. It has worked this year. Why did we stop doing that? Just, just continue on doing that exact same thing week in, week out. That's our strength. Let, let's play to our strength instead of, not sure whether we've the last few weeks we've tried to stop the opposition more than what we've tried to play our own game or what's going on there. But yeah, we play our own game and there's your result. That's what happens. It's, it was one of the most pleasing things. I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head H saying what we, what we asked for last week was not a guarantee of a win. You can't, you can never guarantee a win, but what you can ask for and, and what you do expect week out and week in is that the guys turn up to play that they show up to fight and to fight from the start to the end and and if they do that then there's not a lot you can complain about you can complain about poor skills or execution or whatever but if they give the effort and the energy and the intensity then you're halfway there and that's that's the big thing that was missing in the the, the two weeks prior i i do give them a uh, a pass for the brisbane one i think a lot went against us 
that night. Um, the, the, the Essendon and the Sydney games were, were inexcusable. I, I stand by that. Um, and not because we lost the game, but because of the way that we lost the game. Um, what we asked for was effort and energy, and they gave us that in spades. And you know, our backs were against the wall. A lot went against us again. And we, we've seen earlier in the year where we've come back from deficits, we've come back from a couple of goals down, uh, we fought back in the second half. We did that again this, this week, but, but we did it a number of times. Like you said, Darren, you know, we kicked the first couple and then Carlton came out and went bang, 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 kicked five in a row. And all of a sudden, after a period of 20 minutes of dominance, you know, you're two, three goals down. Now, we came back from that almost straight away, you know, within the second quarter, uh, early in the third, Carlton hit back again. And then we fought back and, and we got our way back into the game when it looked like Carlton was starting to dominate and, and get on top of us. We lost players uh, late in the, in the, the third quarter. Uh, Dougal Howard, obviously, earlier in the, the third quarter. Uh, Butler and, and Clark uh, are off the ground for, for a period of 15, 20 minutes at least. Um, and again, Carlton hit back and they take the lead in the last quarter. And again, we fought back and it was our pressure, our intensity, uh, that, that was never in doubt on, on Friday night. And, and you cannot complain when you put in a shift like that. Uh, and it was, it was so good for us to get the rewards because it showed them that you don't have to play the perfect game. I don't think we played the perfect game, but when you put the effort in and you put that sort of intensity and you turn up to play, that good things will happen. And does, again, it doesn't guarantee a win, but good things will happen. And H, I think the most pleasing thing that you, you alluded to was that we started to play our brand of football again. We, we had some dare, some flair against a team that's got Paddy Cripps, uh, Saad, um, Sam Walsh, uh, and then the, the two monsters up front in, in Kerno and, and Mackay. We owned the corridor. You know, we took them on, Sinclair and Hill in the first half, especially Wanganeen Miller in the first half, just dominating run and carry and, and hitting targets. And that was such... That was such a big part of what we were doing in the first half of the season that we haven't been doing over the last month or so. And it was just really nice to see. Again, it wasn't the perfect game, but a huge step in the right direction. Yeah, a couple of those turnovers uh, when they were taking risks, Sinclair in the first quarter, Hill in the third. Uh, I'm glad they didn't stop doing that. Obviously, yeah. they were poorly executed. And, and Sinclair's one was reminiscent of that crucial goal against the, the Bombers a, a few weeks ago. But, but that's going to happen interesting. sometimes when you take exactly, the game Exactly, yeah, but you just don't want them to stop doing it. You don't want yeah. them to get spooked into thinking, no, no, I'm not doing that anymore. We've got to play it safe down the line. But they, they were prepared to keep backing themselves in. I mean, Sinclair and Hill are terrific kicks of the footy. You're going to mishit them occasionally. But, yeah, I thought it was encouraging you know watching the uh, as we just popped up in Moorabbin but watching the uh, watching the game um, throughout the course of the night most people most of us get a gut feel watching the Saints I think as to what's likely to transpire and it felt like we were up to the fight in this game like um, you know we, we weathered the storm in the third quarter when they had control we kicked those two late goals that were massive weathered the storm early in the last but as nervous as you are watching it I never felt like we'd go away I thought look they might tip us on the line or something and we might get beaten by three points or whatever but we're not going to fall over like it just had that feel about it that like the Geelong game and the Giants game and the Crows game that uh, we we're going to hang in there and, and hopefully the result went our way so yeah that was really encouraging um it obviously draws us back to within a game of the likes of Carlton um but yeah, and probably also handy that we had Tom Highmore as a sub this week of all weeks. Obviously, mm. to, to lose Dougal Howard, that would have caused all sorts of problems for us. Um, Structure-wise, 
you know, Webster would have had to have played taller. Um, obviously, Battle was already playing on Mackay at, at that point. Wilkie would have, you know, had to move around a little bit. So having Highmore, who was actually pretty good, he had 12 or 13 touches in less than half a game, took some nice marks. So, um, yeah, we, we were able to stand up. So Marshall went off. So Ryder had to play sort of 15 minutes straight in the ruck. Um, obviously, with Clark going off the ground, you know, Mason Wood had to sort of come back out there and play a long stint sort of on the outside. Um, everybody was prepared to roll up their sleeves. And obviously Tom Highmore, I think he had three possessions within a minute of coming on the ground as a sub. So, um, yeah, I, I thought it was one of those days where they, it, it felt like they weren't going to go away. I did, did want to give a, a special mention, I think, to, to the two rookies in uh, Naz and Winhager. Mm-hmm. I thought in that first half, when you had the likes of Sinclair and, and Hill taking the game on, that Nasai Wanganin Miller was was as big a part of that as anybody, the run and carry and the, the dash and the attack. And that's the stuff. And then the second half, it was Windhager. Windhager played something like 90% of game time in, in a game like that with that sort of intensity and pressure, which was really impressive on its own. But I felt like he really came into his own in that second half as a bit of a bully. Yeah, he's a big boy. He's got a big frame. He's got some, got some size around him. And, and he really attacked the contest hard. Um, he, he's a good tackler. Uh, you know, some of the pickups, there was that one in the, in the third quarter or the last quarter, mm, the setup, uh, setup through, the, the, through the legs yeah. um, and just the mm. way that he attacks the ball, attacks the contest. Um, I, I think that we've, we've found a real winner with, uh, with Marcus Windhager. And one, one move that I was sort of sitting watching last on, on the night of the game going, does, does rats or someone else listen to us? Cause one of the things that I pointed up, pointed out and said, I would love to see happen was Kingy playing up the ground. Where did he appear? And I was just looking, going. He looks. He actually looks more comfortable further up the ground. He, oh, I think he's got. He's almost got to be a centre half forward, not a full forward. He's it's got the athleticism. He's got the marking power down on. He, he's the get out kick. If we've got nothing up forward, he's going to take these towering marks. On he did the three times in the last quarter. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he yeah. was vital in that last quarter with some of yeah. those. When, and when we were under pressure, yeah. almost feel like he's going to be more, he could be more dangerous there than sitting in the goal square. So, I think it also right. depends on, on matchups as well. Like Carlton, hmm. you know, undersized defense allowed, and Membry clearly had the better of his matchups, you know, was taking marks and, and you know, being a real, a real kind of nuisance for the Carlton defense. Whereas King was able to to then, because Membry was so effective up forward, was able to roam a little bit more, and there wasn't the reliance on him just to, to stay deep and yeah. stay forward. And but yeah, he was. I mean, he was really damaging when he was up at, at half forward and and up on the wing, like like you said. Mm. Yeah, that also said, him, yeah. yeah, him not being there gave us that maybe that bit more freedom of we're not looking for him every time we go in. We're, we're going, oh, there's a, there's an option, there's an option, there's an option. It's not like where's King? I'll kick to him. It, yeah, well, the, the two memory goals. Up. Yeah, the yeah. two memory goals were when we got over the back a little bit in the last quarter. One was he was in a one-on-one, backing back and got that free kick for the arm chop, and the second one was, um, uh, I think Windhager back back took a mark forty odd out and then set it up. So everyone was back by then, but the initial play forward because he'd gone up the ground and yeah, a couple of times there were real pressure balls. I reckon King took three of those pack marks in the last quarter, which just got us out of trouble. Um, went behind the ball even a couple of times. He, he spoiled a couple of centre half backs. So he found his mojo again. So that's probably a good um, segue into some votes. And this one, it's obviously a little bit harder. Um, 
kicking it off. I think I actually gave Max an apology. I thought he was, um, you know, his game was a pretty solid contribution on the on the most part. Um, I also gave Jack Steele an apology. I thought, um, you know, he played an outstanding captain's game and I could quite easily have given him uh, anywhere up to two votes, I think. Um, but a lot of other good players in the day, Seb Ross was, was good. Um, you know, a lot of the defenders played pretty well. Battle under pressure on Mackay was was pretty good as well. Um, but I gave uh, one vote on the day to Rowan Marshall. Again, um, took 12 marks, had 23 possessions, battled back out onto the ground. He and Ryder have been a bit down of, of recent times when they played together, but Ryder clearly benefited from the break. 31 hitouts, but I think about 10 to advantage. He was outstanding. But um, I think Marshall roaming around the ground, playing the role you'd like him to play. I gave him a vote. Gave two votes to Tim Membry for being the game breaker with uh, with four goals, uh, two in the first quarter, two late. Um, did some things around the ground, took a defensive mark in the last couple of minutes as well. Uh, and three votes to, to Jack Sinclair. You, you can't play much better than that off halfback with 37 touches and 11 marks. Um, yeah, he was he was sensational for, for mine. Nick, uh, which way do you want to go? Pretty similar. I, I gave apologies to to Membry. I mean, that was such a Tim Membry game, wasn't it? He, he was able to impact both forward and, and back and around the ground. Um, was a really good player. I think most weeks that sort of performance gets him a vote or two. Um, uh, another apology to Brad Hill. I thought his first half was very good. Uh, like we said earlier, with the, the attack and the dare that we showed. Brad Crouch, 11 tackles. I thought really kind of fought hard and battled really hard in the middle. They, they've got a pretty a pretty decent midfield unit, Carlton. And, and I thought Brad Crouch did a lot of the dirty work in there. Um, as we mentioned, uh, Wanganeen Miller and Windhager, both for different reasons, uh, for standing up at different parts of the game. And, and Max King, uh, for all the reasons that you guys have, have mentioned already. But I gave one vote to Paddy Ryder. He's such a unique player and he offers us something so different to pretty much any ruckman in the league. Like you said, 31 hitouts. I think he was at 45 ruck contests. Uh, 31 hitouts, 10 hitouts to advantage, five tackles, and two goals won as well. You know his his impact hitting the scoreboard was really important, and that one where he cut off the kick uh, in the back pocket and then kind of tapped the ball to his own advantage, uh, and the little the little soft toe poke. I mean, it was just so sweet to watch. He's he's a really unique player, and I'm I'm not sure there's anyone quite like him in the AFL. And I just I love watching him play. Uh, and I love watching him play for us, as the uh, RWB <laughs> footy guys would say. Paddy Ryder playing for St Kilda. I gave two votes to Jack Steele for the for the reasons you mentioned before, Parco. Um, you know, it wasn't his best game, but I think you, you could have had him almost anywhere uh, in in the votes. Twenty four touches, nine tackles, five score involvements, and kicked a pretty important goal as well in in uh, in the game. And just again, yeah. Brings that leadership, and it wasn't his best game by any stretch. He's played much better games of football, but you know, in there with Crouch doing the the hard work, um, and still able to kind of keep the ball moving, uh, be a link in the chain through the middle of the ground, and, and pushing forward was really important for us. And I thought it was probably his best game uh, in quite a while. Obviously, the injury in the middle, but um, I thought that was the best kind of Jack Steele performance we've seen for a while. And three votes, like you said, uh, Jack Sinclair, thirty-seven touches at ninety percent. Efficiency, uh, six inside fifties and six hundred meters gained. Clearly, the best player on the ground. And Ed, I looked at this week and I thought there's almost I can almost give three players votes in every every line this week. It was just one of those weeks. I just went, who am I going to give them to? It was is players that deserve one and won't get any. Players that deserve two won't get any. And yeah, players that deserve three. They're only going to get one. So it's a 
it was a tough week to get, narrow it down, but I gave, yeah, gave one to Tim Membry. Um, just the, yeah, four goals and defensive marks and work around the ground and a lot of other weeks. That, that, that's a three-vote game. He, he he did everything for the club he could and he was there in the right spots when we needed him. And it was, it was a really, really um, huge contribution to the team on the night. So, um it's unfor- un- unlucky to only get one. Um, you go two to Paddy Ryder. Um, just just for the fact of what he had to do on the night. We've lost Marshall. He's basically, he, I reckon he was probably almost due for a rest when Marshall went down. He had been in the ruck for a little bit. Marshall was resting up forward and then he gets injured. Mar- Pat Ryder was just about due for that, that rest and he's just at the kick on for the extra time and he was actually very busy in that what it was it ended up being about 16 minutes that Marshall was off for he, he he had so many ruck contests he he contributed in I think it was two goals at least um and just serve gave us so much service on the night and yeah as soon as Marshall, Marshall came back on we knew okay that he's done his work he, he's he's done everything he possibly could to get us over a line on that on the night um, and yeah, I think there's no doubting Jack Sinclair best on ground. Um, he, him and Brad Hill, who obviously massive apology were probably neck and neck in the first half, but he just continued on the second half so well that, um, yeah, Hilly, Hilly did not, didn't not contribute in the second half, but yeah, Sinclair just stepped up that extra, that extra and he is clearly best on ground. Yeah, uh, outstanding game. And, and yeah, I think that the contribution you're talking, Nick, about Windhager did, a, did some defensive negating roles as well. Um, yeah, he's, he's really important, um, both he and, and Wanganeen Malera with, with ball use and the, and the like. But uh, our next guest, uh, it, was a, as we said, it was a gloomy period for the Saints in the 1980s. We've discussed a few fine names from that era. And, and this guy probably underrated in, in football circles, but not amongst the St Kilda faithful. I speak of Rob the Eel Elphinstone. Well, the 1980s was, as we know, a relatively tough decade for the, the Saints with a, a lot of wooden spoons, not a lot of success. I think a nine-win season in 1987, the most productive. But when we look back on the 80s, we often look at the names that debuted for the club that would help to set up the future. Guys like Lockett, Frawley, Harvey, Burke, Lowe, Winmar, etc. all arrived at the club. Obviously, Daryl Baldock came back and coached. And, and there was a feeling that towards the end of that era... Uh, there was a dawn coming for the club. But throughout that 1980s era, there was also some tremendous servants. We often talk about the stories of loyalty around Trevor Barker and, you know, with the best and fairest and the, you know, the offers from other clubs. And Greg Burns, uh, one of the Ballarat boys, another one we mentioned. But Rob Elphinstone, one of St Kilda's finest players through that era. And his career spanned the 80s. First game in 1980. Last game in 1989, 157 fine games for the Saints, represented his state as well, uh, and uh, was a very, very good contributor in a side that uh, obviously didn't have a lot of wins, but did have a few stars, and he was one of them. Thanks for, for joining us. No, no worries, Darren. Uh, a pleasure to be here, mate. Now, uh, reading a little bit about your, your background, I was unaware your background was mainly in golf. Is that right? You came to footy pretty late? Uh, well, I did. I was in and out of footy. Played a lot of junior footy. Grew up in Seaford, down on the peninsula. And, uh, yeah, I found my way into golf uh, in the in my sort of early teens. And 
uh, turning, turning my back on football a little bit, but, uh, you know, there was strong friendships and ties. It was always good to play with your mates. So, uh, yeah, I found my way back to footy in about under 15s or 16s and, uh, and it sort of went from there. Rob, how did you end up at St Kilda? And, and secondly, where did the, uh, the Eel nickname come from? Who, who gave that to you? Oh, it was Grant Thomas who gave that to me early days, early 80s. Um, it was a combination of uh, being a slippery character. I'm not sure how that... Uh, <laughs> he said I used to find my way through packs, uh, uh, but it was the Earl Alphenstone sort of thing. So it sort of stuck. Yeah, it's, uh, there were some worse ones going around, but uh, you know, that's one stuck. And, I, you know, I still get ill today. So it was... Uh, yeah, it's a little bit weird. And I've, I've just become a grandfather and uh, we've worked out my my grandson's going to call me Papa Eel. So <laughs> Very very nice. And and as Darren said, you started with golf. How, how did you end up at, uh, at Moorabbin with the Saints? Yeah, look, it was, a, look, it was like a, back in those days, it was zones. So it was, uh, I think there was a talent scout down at an under 16s or 17s game and and uh, they went there to look at me, but uh, I actually happened to play a fairly good game and got invited down to uh, a scholarship squad that was uh, um, sort of about 18 years old. And uh, it was under actually Alan Jeans. We uh, there we one night a week for about 10 weeks. And uh, from there, I got invited down to the under-19s to play under Bob Murray, who I know you've, uh, you guys have had him on the podcast as well. So... Um, so I was lucky enough to get through to the under 19. So I went through the whole under 19 seconds and then uh, lucky enough to get into the seniors. It was very much a changing time when you arrived at the club and pretty much most of the players from that successful era in the 60s, early 70s have pretty much moved on. And Alex Jezelenko also had just started as coach at the club. Um, how, how was the feeling amongst the group there was there was there a bit of oh who are you who are you sort of thing and just just trying to figure out where everyone was yeah how, how was it like that it was a bit surreal for me because I was a Carlton supporter as a young boy and uh Jezza was my sort of duffel coat hero so um to be invited down to play you know play at a league club was uh was bizarre at best but uh and then to be running at my first game and I'm running I'm Running alongside Alex Jezelenko was my hero. It was just, uh, it was quite bizarre. But there were, there were days of, of turmoil. But I, look, as a young guy, uh, to get a chance to play football, and I was playing with Jeff Saru and, and, and playing with Trevor Barker and Gary Colling and these guys who were legends of, you know, they'd already played quite a few games before I got along. And they were, you know, well and truly entrenched as, as players. They would feel it more because... Uh, uh, um, we, you know, we weren't successful in those days. And then there was a Lindsay Fox, you know, president come along to try and save the club. So uh, the, the club was in a bit of self-preservation back in those days. And, you know, wins were rare and sponsorship was rare. And, um, yeah, it was hard to attract good players. Like the money clubs like Carlton and so forth were, you know, they would get all the good interstate players because they paid them the money. We didn't have the money. So um, it, was, it was, a you know... A few years of let's just survive. How challenging was that? And if you look at guys like yourself, obviously Barks, who, who's no longer with us, and Greg Burns, who played all the way through the 80s, as I think the three players that were there from day one and the final yeah. day of the decade, was there always a special bond between you guys that, look, this was hard work, this was tough, but, but we were there the whole way through? 
Yeah, look, there was. There was. And I was good mates with Joffa Cunningham as well and, and, uh, and a few of the Ballarat guys. But, uh, um, yeah, look, there, there was. We went through the, the, the bad times and there were days when they, uh, the president would come in and say, boys, if we don't win today, there might not be next week. So, you know, that's a bit of pressure on the young team. <laughs> if you're running out, you thought, oh, my God, this could be our last game. Um, uh, I don't know whether it was inspiring, but uh, um, you know, we, have, we were lucky enough to get through that period. And uh, I mean, I mean, Lindsay came along and, and did some sort of scheme of arrangements, which kept us kept us afloat there for a while. Um, but then, uh, you know, the thing started. You know, we did start to attract some good players, and then Plugger come along in about '83 or '4. Uh, Danny Frawley and you know, that, it, and Stewie Lowe and those sort of guys, and then you could see a bit of a, you can see a little little light at the end of the tunnel. So you know that could have inspired us to uh, to keep driving and you know learn from the bad times and you know, pick yourself up and just try and keep going. Rob, for, uh, for the coach, younger, sorry, sorry, go, no, go on, mate, go on, mate. Uh, the coach was turning over uh, like every two or three years as well, so you, you never really got any. Traction with a coach, you know, because it was such a, you know, it was such a uh, an ordinary time at the club. Rob, uh, for, for the, the younger for the younger listeners, what, what sort of player were you? I mean, you could play on talls and smalls. You're a bit of a running defender as well. You could push forward and kick a goal every now and then. But what 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 sort of player were you? And, and you mentioned Spud Frawley. What was it like lining up in in the back line with with Spud there at fullback, kind of you know, from from '84 onwards? Yeah, look, it was always good there with Spud because you, you you knew he was always going to take he was going to like, take the full forward, which is the gun full forward at the time. He'd take the the dunce stools and uh, you know that sort of guys. But um, uh, yeah, look, he was always a good bloke to line up with. He's sort of guy, you know, you'd, if you were at war, you'd want to be in the trenches with him because he's he was a leader of men, and it was it was clear sort of you know from '85 on. I think I. Barks was uh, was the captain, and you know I was sort of vice captain, and, uh, and you could see that Danny come along, and he had those leadership qualities that was gonna that was gonna take us forward. It was just clear that uh, Danny was a leader of men. Uh, so we we were discussing before you came on having a look through your stats, and we looked at we gone you've had 157 games with 33 victories. You sort of think well, it's a bit it's a little bit tough, sort of thinking how how would you get through that personally yourself what did you do just to get yourself up just to go get back out there again this week i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna give everything i'm gonna just just throw myself at at the match and try to be the best i can be what, what was your motivating factor to do that oh look it was look looking back at it now there were times when i when i struggled with it i really did struggle because um i come from a well, my junior club at Seaford was very successful. So we played in grand finals you know, virtually every year or, or finals at least. And uh, and so to come along and get, you know, me beaten in the first couple of years, it was just, I was just really excited to play football at that level. And, uh, and yeah, but the, the, the losses started to wear you down. They really did. They, uh, you know, I used to really take, you know, take it very personally and, uh, and, uh, you, you, you know, you try and get yourself up every week. And it was just, you know, getting around. You said those guys who were who would get senior games every week and just try and stay together and stick together and say, come on, you know, let's get through. Let's get through this and let's work harder and let's, 
let's do some extra training or let's do, you know, we just tried everything to, to try and get up to that level to, you know, firstly be competitive. And most of the time we sort of were competitive, but there were just periods where we'd, uh, we'd just let ourselves down and, you know, we'd bleed goals. And back in those days, you know, you could have a bad five minutes and, you know, you can bleed five or six goals and, you know, the game's just virtually over. Uh, well, there's one noted example reportedly where you, you came close to leaving at sort of end of 85 and you spoke a little bit before about the challenges for a lot of players and we've heard stories about, you know, the 22 cents in the dollar or whatever it was to, to try to get the club to, to stay afloat. Um, how close did you come? And I understand a lot of the boys sort of came around and the coach Graham Jelly and, and were able to persuade you and we've heard similar with Trevor Barker with mammoth offers and, and things exactly. like that. Um, yeah, so, so how did that all go? Yeah, look, as I was just saying, it, you know, it used to wear you down. So, you know, loss after loss and, uh, and, and you know, no real light at the end. And you, you just, you know, you don't want to say depression, but you just, you just start to really feel it. And it really hurt during the week. Uh, and it was hard to get yourself up, like, every week, you know. And you, then you go into sort of self-preservation mode and you think, oh, well, I'll just look after, I'll just take my man out or, or you know, so I don't look so bad. Uh, but that's not the way to go. But um, and it, you know, I got a little bit disillusioned in that in that period, and we were turning coaches over, you know, sort of quickly, and there was no uh, there was no great you know light or anything. There was no chance of playing finals in the next few years. And I thought, God, when I'm uh, I've played five years, um, gee, I'd like to experience finals. Um, I don't not sure whether I'm going to be it's going to happen in my period. So. Um, I was pretty good mates with Tony Jewell. I really liked Tony Jewell when he came to the club. He got very well and he was a sort of coach. He was a fire and brimstone sort of coach. We sort of fired me up a bit. And uh, when he he sort of got asked from the club, he got the sack and then went back to Richmond. You know, we were sort of pretty good mates. We'd had a drink and he said, oh, well, you know, there's probably a spot for you. And I said, oh, God, you know, it is starting to wear me down. So there was that period. And then, of course, all the guys come around and said, come on, we want you to stay, sort of one of our leaders. Go, um, uh, you know, if you go, then we all, you know, we don't want the wheels to fall off or, you know, not that I'm, me leaving is going to make the wheels fall off, but, uh, yeah, we want, really want to try and form a bond there and try and forge forward. So, you know, you know, I sort of come around, I thought, oh, I really do want to be a one-club player uh, and have art. So, when, you know, it's always good to go back to the club now and you, you know that you've sort of, you know, you've been a part of this for, you know, a period. Now, before, I guess, that period, there, there were some some good times, I mean, particularly for you. I mean, 83 was a pretty good year, played 19 games, uh, polled 11, 11 votes in the Brownlow, which is a team high for the club. Uh, played for Victoria, State of Origin, it was, was a pretty good year. Were you stiff not to win the best and fairest that year? Oh, Max Crow come along. He came over from Essendon. He was he played ten and a half forward, and we, he had a really good year. He had a, he had a great year. So, um, uh, yeah, I would have liked to have won a BNF at the end of the day. But uh, um, uh, look, Max Max is a, was a was a good winner as well. So, um, yeah, look, I'm happy to finish runner up to Maxi. One thing I did read was that. Bob, you said that Bob Murray had a big influence on your career early on. Um, what, what's the story behind Bob and how, he, how did he approach or you approach him or he approach you and what, what transpired from that? 
Oh, look, we've actually become pretty good mates, Bobby and I. We, you know, I was just a, another eighteen-year-old kid from from Frankston, and um, you know, I was just so excited to be invited down to a to a league club. And uh, lo and behold, there's you know Bob Murray, who was one of the greatest fullbacks of all time, uh, and he's my coach. So you know, I was I was uh, on cloud nine. So. And the fact that he was a great guy, I got on very well with with Bob and Judy's wife, and you know we visited them quite quite often up in their place up in uh, Wangaratta, just outside Wang, and um, he's a still a great mate today. And um, you know just to be coached by him, and, and and you know some of the things that you tell, he obviously he's played in the you know the only grand final and was was a key part of that one point win. Um, um, taking that great mark, you know, sort of right at the death. And uh, he could just, he just knew that he's experienced football. And so you'd sort of hang off every word. So I was just in a bit of awe of Bob and, you know, the fact that he's a great guy and you can have a beer with him and a laugh and a joke and have a game of golf and makes him even better. The back end of the decade that the wheel sort of showed signs of turning. I mean, 85, 86, you played in two wins and 28 losses in those two seasons. But 87, whilst you didn't play a lot of footy, the club won five in a row late in the year. You played in a couple of those, plugged in Dickies 100 and won the Brownlow. 88 was tough again, but 89, the first five games you played in that year were wins and you were in pretty good form by the, the end of that season as well. Did you see by the end of the 80s that, there is now that light at the end of the tunnel that we didn't think was there. And you were, I think, 29 at the end of that year. Was there a temptation to potentially push on and, and maybe see some of that early 90s success? No, look, I could see it. I could see it on the wall. You, know, you had guys like, you know, obviously Lockett, Harvey, Burke, Lowe, you know, for all the, the names are all there, which, you know, household names now. But um, you could see it all starting to come together. And I was so excited. The old body, you know, in 87, I did a, like a, a hamstring tendon, which sort of kept me out for um, the, most of that year. Um, 88 was, a, you know, that, those, they're the days that, uh, of Moorabbin where, where Plugger would, you know, he'd kick 10 and the crowd would go down one end and they'd go up the other end in the second quarter just to watch him. Um, you know, and our game plan was virtually, you know, kick it in the general direction of Plugger and we'll see how we go from there. And uh, uh, and I could see, I could see that, uh, you know, that success is not far away and I was getting very excited about that, but my body just it just wouldn't let me do it. I had, you know, sort of shoulder issues and a lot of soft top tissue injuries with hamstrings and so forth. So I couldn't quite get there. I tried in 90 when, when Kenny Sheldon took over because I could see that that was going to, I could see there was a real feeling and a buzz about the club that I hadn't seen in the last 10 years and, and uh, I just couldn't hang in there, unfortunately. And um, uh, and I lost my dad at the you know at the end of '89 as well, which sort of knocked me around a little bit. So I thought, well, I you know, I just can't I just can't afford John. So you know, um, way held up the white flag. So that was probably it for me. Um, you know, I played a couple of years. Went up and played North Ballarat after you know '91 under. Uh, um, uh, Jimmy Buckley, which was a bit of fun, and uh, but that's you know that's my body wouldn't let me uh, compete at that level anymore. Unfortunately, they uh, they went on to you know have a good ninety and a and play finals ninety one. So I I sort of just missed out, but my body wouldn't have let me get there. I've got no regrets. 
you've you've been involved with some of the, the greatest saints in history, you know, from Doc to Bob Murray to Barks to Plugger, Winmar, Lowe, uh, Burke, Harvey, etc. Spud, um, in, in your opinion, who who is the greatest saint and why? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of conjecture, there's a lot of conversation around you. Know, what makes the greatest saint? Is it loyalty? Is it skill? Is it football? You know, what what is that? What is that to you? Oh, look, people have asked me this a, a lot. No, look, if I look back at my career, that's the great highlight is that, it, you know, some of the guys that I've played with um, and trained with and, you know, had fun with uh, were, you know, really, like, Plugger is the greatest player that I've ever seen. I'm, you know, not only St Kilda, but anyone, but Harves is a, is a close two. He was, uh, he come down as a 15 year old kid. He come from the same junior club at Seaford as, as I did. And, uh, and he was just a league player from the, from the moment he put the boots on as a 15 year old kid. And he could just do things that, uh, that, you know, most players can't. He's sort of a Pendlebury type. He was, he was a Rolls Royce. So, um, you know, it was a great honour to play with those guys. I played with a lot of great players. Barks was a, you know, a super player for a, for a guy who was, you know, very light. Um, he mixed it with the men very well. Uh, you know, most of the time he jumped on their heads, but uh, uh, so he got around being physical. But he was a, he was also one of the greatest tacklers I've ever seen. He was, uh, you know, he punched above his his weight uh, every time he walked out there. So. Um, but I would say if, if you if I've got to say one, it's got to be Plugger. He was just he was just an awesome player to watch. And I you know, I look back at some of the old YouTube ones now and you think, wow, that's just amazing. Now, one other thing you mentioned is your favorite ground was actually Waverley Park. And you, because of the size you like to playing on the bigger grounds, was part of the factor of that that the opposition cheer squad was actually more than a metre away from the goal line and you, you didn't have to get hit in the back of the head by him. And <laughs> was that part of the factor there? And and on top of that, what what was it like playing in front of, say, our animal enclosure compared to, say, Collingwood or Windy Hill or something like that? Oh, look, um, I did like to play out at Waverley for the, for the first part. Um yeah, Waverley's a big ground, and I, I was actually a very good runner. I was a good um, sort of distance runner as a kid, and um, so I had a re- reasonably good engine. So the Waverley ground really suited me. So I used to get out there, like to get out and have a run. Um, the Moravan the Moravan crowd was just freaking awesome. I mean, they, those days uh, the enclosure used to go off, and um, you know that was real suburban footy. For us, and you know, it was you know, the people still talk about it today. But uh, uh, but going out to Windy, uh, not Windy Hill, yeah, Windy Hill and Victoria Park was a scary experience for a young man. Um, there was you know things being said and things being thrown at you at uh, drinks being poured at you on you as you walked off at half time and full time and. Uh, we didn't have much success out there, so they probably took it easy on us. But um, uh, yeah, it was it was a great experience. The whole thing was, uh, you know, was sort of ten years of your life, and you think, oh, well, that was pretty special. Rob, last one from me. But tell us about your memories from Moorabbin. I mean, we hear lots of stories about opposition players not wanting to turn up to Moorabbin because of the mud and the you know the weather and 
uh, cold showers and all that sort of stuff. But what was it like as a home player playing at Moorabbin? Yeah, we always felt very comfortable at Moorabbin, even though it was, you know, a lot of the time we couldn't even train on it. It was, it just wouldn't be allowed to be played on now uh, in in the modern football. Uh, we used to train out in the car park. We used to go out in the car park and, and train and they'd have our cars and we'd turn the lights on and we'd try and get a few hours of, of training or at least an hour out there. Uh, because the ground was just so bad. It was just, uh, it was crazy. We used to go down to sometimes go down to Sandringham when they let us go down there. Their ground was was always in perfect nick and our ground was, you know, awful most of the time. I know there's a, the, the famous, um, you know, Stewie putting the sprinklers on uh, on a Friday night. To, but the ground was just a, a boggy, wet ground, just uh, traditionally. Uh, and to go back there now and look at it, you think, oh, my God, it just looks like a bowling green now. Um, how did that ever happen? But, um, you know, we used to pl- like playing that. It was our, you know, it was our home mud. So uh, other teams didn't like coming down. Um, I think they'd always be happy just to get a win. Um, yeah, and there was the times, there was famous times where, the, you know, we would turn the showers off. Well, we wouldn't, but... Uh, the authorities had turned the showers off. <laughs> so no one really liked going down there as an opposition player. But, uh, uh, yeah, we used, to, we used to like them. We tried to build a little bit of a fortress here towards, the, you know, the late 80s. And, we, you know, we'd win, we'd win a lot of home games where uh, earlier on, we, you know, we couldn't get them. But, uh, um, yeah, we tried to build that fortress and, and anyone who come down was, you know, they're going to have to work hard to beat us. Just, just quickly before uh, before Parker jumps in, but what what have you been up to since since football, and, and what's your relationship like with the with the footy club these days? Oh look, um, well I was I was always in the family business. We do we do a lot of shop fittings and uh, store fixtures. Um, uh, that was always the family business. I'm still in that. Me and my sons are involved in it as well, so it's uh, it's going quite well. Um, so, you know, I'll do that. I've just, you know, sort of 61 now. So um, I'm, not, I'm not really thinking about retirement, but uh, uh, I probably should jump back a little bit. But uh, obviously now uh, the football clubs, you know, we, I do obviously very watch it very keenly. Uh, the club has done a great job in, in recent years of encouraging past players to come back where that what probably wasn't the case in... You know, after I left in sort of uh, in the 90s and 2000s, there wasn't really a a great welcoming back or there wasn't a room or there wasn't any, you know, the past players was, you know, while they were, there was a past players, it was, uh, there wasn't really any sort of home base. So um, the club done a good job of doing that now with, and the past players is, is functioning quite well. And, um, you know, I get down there as often as I can and... Um, and uh, scream my lungs out and have strong opinions about what's going on on the ground. Final one as we uh, as we let you go. Obviously, when people start an AFL career, I imagine they you know they, they wish for premierships, regular finals appearances, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, when you look back on the journey now, you you were you know a decade long fantastic player, represented your states, uh, you know top three finishes in in best and fairest, played with some superstars. Obviously, not the success you would have liked, but do you look back on it now and still hold regrets about that, or are you proud of the fact that through all of that difficulty you, you did it the hard way and, and obviously stayed all the way through and, and contributed some fantastic footy? 
Oh, look, a bit of both, you know, um, if I've got to say. Um, it regrets, it would have been great to have been there for success. And as I said before, it's, you know, I could see it coming, uh, but I, I just couldn't hang in there and do it, unfortunately. But um, uh, look, no real, re- I don't really regret it. Um, I'm sort of proud to be part of that, you know, we make, we have, we help the club survive. So, so there is a St Kilda football club now. I, I feel that I'm, you know, sort of very small part of, of um, sort of making that happen and and uh, getting the club to sort of hang in there during those really bad times. And you know, so there's a St Kilda, there's a red, black, and white out there now that we can all uh, scream our lungs out and support. Um, so I'm you know I'm sort of proud of that. Yeah, and whenever your name and, and the likes of Trevor Barker's name and Greg Byrne's name comes up amongst St Kilda supporters, there is that extreme fondness, I think, for those reasons. I think the supporter base appreciates and understands exactly the role that, uh, that you guys had in that during some uh, some tough times. So thank you very much for your, your contribution and we appreciate you joining us on the podcast. No problem, guys. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks, boys. Go Saints. Rob Elphinston joining us there. We turn our attention to Fremantle, a side we beat back in round two at Optus Stadium. We came from behind. It was a win that gave us a bit of hope coming off the the frustrations of the Collingwood loss in round one. It made us think that we were perhaps still in the fight. And uh, we now enter this Fremantle game again, feeling like we're still in the fight. Um, Probably, you know, if if we look at the run home with with the nine games left, thirteen still or seven games left, nineteen still, thirteen is still a magic number. We've got nine at the moment, so we're still got to win four more games. So, obviously, if you bank this one, then you leave yourself less to do in that block of say Geelong, Sydney, Brisbane to to finish the year. If you can secure this one, get yourself to ten with um. You know, a tough fixture to come. It, it is really important. Fremantle, I think they're sweating on the fitness of Matt Taberner, who had a little hamstring issue last week. But been cleared of major damage, it'll just be whether they play him on a six-day break or not. That's relevant to us, given the loss of Dougal Howard for a few weeks in defence. He's got the arthroscope to clean up the knee. And Hunter Clark, who's, I think someone said he'd... Uh, uh, run over a, a Chinaman, then got out of the car and walked over, walked under a ladder that was getting held up by a black cat or something like that. In the uh, in recent times, he's had every piece of bad luck imaginable, particularly with upper body injuries, face, shoulder, neck, that sort of thing. But he's out for a couple of weeks. From all reports, McKenzie, I think it would still be touch and go to, to get back from what we can gather. Um, Highmore would hold his spot, but but I would feel that there'd be a spot for Dara Joyce um, in terms of just getting that that bigger size defender in there to play on someone like Rory Lobb because all of our defenders at the moment are the same type of size. So Battle, Wilkie, and Highmore are effectively three of the same player. I think we need you know Dara Joyce is that point of difference like Dougal Howard, who's a bit bigger. Howard would be you know three or four inches taller than those guys, and and Joyce I think needs to play that role. And then whether they get another runner to replace Clark. So whether it is hopefully McKenzie or, or whether it's someone like Burns or whether they back in Highmore or something like that to, to play as that extra role, it will be really interesting to see. But um, yeah, there, there's some on, of the options. Yeah, Interesting on McKenzie. I don't know if anyone noticed the article that the club put out today about the players who could return that McKenzie They didn't have mentioned. him in there, did they? Yeah, okay. uh, they so put a line through that then. A few of the other guys, but yeah, it doesn't seem like McKenzie <clears> will be back this week. Um, yeah. Do you th- uh, think that I'd mention that um, in that round two win over Frio, I know that they lost Sean Darcy in the second half, and that was obviously a, a big 
uh, a big boost for us. We had no rider that day, though. We had no rider, and we had no Dougal Howard that day. So yeah, yeah, we we have done it before. Obviously, Rory Lobb is back in the team. Uh, Did Darren Joyce play that game? Did play a okay game yeah. day and actually yeah played pretty well to be honest. And I think we mm. we discussed yeah. it on the week after when we saw he was dropped that it was probably a little bit unfair that the, the game he played, um, or it might have been the week after. I can't remember if he played two in a row or possibly. Um, that he'd played football that he probably didn't deserve to be dropped. Um, he, he actually held up the defence quite well over there in Perth that day. So it, it's it's we're not not bringing in someone who hasn't got the experience, it seems. Yeah, I'd, I'd be tempted to go that way. Are you sort of leaning that way or would you back in high more battle, Wilkie? I I'd be bringing in, yeah. yeah. Bring, I'd bring in Joyce just for the size. Because um, Lobs what, 358 centimetres or something? Yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. exactly right. We, we, we can't go in. Plays is, is, a, is a pretty mm. tough beat. He's a big and, guy as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. It's, so it's a car going too short. Josh Battle, Josh Battle kind of had his breakout game as a defender, I think, in that in that round two when he was in our in our best uh that week. Looking at the the names that I had as our best that night or that day, I should say. We had Battle, yeah, King, <clears throat> Mackenzie, Higgins, Sinclair, Hill, and Steele. So outside of Mackenzie, all of those guys are are in the team this week. Um yeah. and you expect Battle with Howard out to, to be a really, really important player. Um, as he has been all year, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'd be more comfortable with someone like a Joyce in Tom Highmore, like you said, didn't really put a foot wrong and, and deserves to keep his spot. But I think you need another, another big body back there. Um, to, to I'd almost sub, leave to having a plays. You'd almost put Highmore as a sub again. And would you put him as a sub again, or would you pick another, like pick another runner like long or Burns? Well, someone like, someone like long, <clears throat> has that mm. versatility that he can play as a defender. He can go in the middle if you need some, some grunt in there, or he can play as it as that defensive forward um, if you need as well. So long, long would probably be my, my choice as the, the sub and you, you bring uh, Joyce straight into the team at fullback. Um, Highmore keeps his place alongside Wilkie in battle. Um, and you go in, I guess a little bit tall in, in that regard, but we, we know that Highmore can play small, can play tall. We know yeah, Wilkie he can. can play both. Um, ben Patton's obviously locked in as a small. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'd probably more inclined to, to go that way and potentially well, go Pat, on a Patton, bit. I think, is still out at the moment. So, Webster, I think, is the, the point on the small. So, uh, we'll, yeah, yeah Patton. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Um, do you think if you need um, another runner, it's a lot easier to bring hmm. someone like a long or, or potentially a Burns or someone in than it is to bring in a tall because you, you can only do so much with a tall. And it was you know, almost lucky, I guess, that it was Howard that went out. Um, earlier in that third quarter, and not oh. someone like a, um, a, a Hunter Clark or, or whoever it was that went out um, first uh, mm-hmm. to, to be able to bring Heimer on to be effective in his role. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, do you think um, Heimer can possibly play that defensive running role that we had Clark in? Because it. He, he's been getting 35 yeah. touches in the VFL. So. Well, he's, he's a good he user of the ball. He, he He's mm. a good runner. He, 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 he it, could yeah. slot into that position and then um, Joyce comes in. So it's going to be really yeah, interesting yeah. to see to see what they do with that role because Brayshaw, Brayshaw was clearly the best player on the ground in that round two game and mm. has been their best player all year. So we need to have a bit of a plan for him. I think he's not one of the Fair guys who just let off the Maybe. chain. Yeah. So, I mean, Windhager, like you mentioned before, he's yeah, potentially. 
um, kind of took took out Doherty in the second half. Uh, maybe he's the, the guy who starts there. Maybe it's Mason Wood as the runner um, to, to go with Brayshaw. Maybe it's someone Ro- like Ross can or, tag. Yeah, yeah. Ross, Ross yeah. can run with him. We know he's got the tank. Mm. Um, mm. I mean, there's a number of options, but I, I'd be disappointed if we didn't go in with a, a tag yeah, on Ross Brayshaw this week. Particularly with obviously I, Fife back playing footy and, yeah. and Monday and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's ain't just getting back into it too. You've, you've, yeah. Fife's, we saw on the, um, against Carlton the other week, two weeks ago, he was a bit rusty. He's still getting into it last week, but he's got to come back to Melbourne again. So yeah. you sort of think, yeah, okay, he's still, he's still going to be a bit, bit I guess, fresh. So mm-hmm. it's a good time to get him. Um, potentially so hopefully... jumping into a, a later segment, but I mean, how so sincere <laughs> would that be from to have 35 and kick four? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but but it's also three man <laughs> at, at the Dockland, so they're, they're not true. they're not well known to have Very huge true. games over here. So hopefully, we can continue that trend. That's a um, yeah, hard to assess wait, their road form, obviously. Yeah, they're, they're outstanding against Melbourne at the MCG. They beat Geelong at Cadinia Park and they, they beat up on Essendon at Marvel, which everyone's done except us. Um, but they uh, obviously they got beaten by Carlton on their last trip at Gold Coast, belted them at Metricon. Um, so yeah, they've been a bit of a mixed bag on the road. Um, they're, but I think they should a take on like, yeah. Hard, yeah, hard to assess what they're like because. Yeah. Obviously, they love it dry, which they're going to get here. They like to move the ball quickly, like to run it, kick long, uh, contest, etc. So, so they're going to get that at Marvel, but they also prefer the wide open spaces. You, you kind of think that they'd be better, you know, if they love Optus, um, that they put they like the G as long as it's not wet, love the MSAG, um, yeah. But so, how do they how do they go in a in a in a um, a, a smaller ground, in a, a thinner ground, I guess, or a narrower ground? Um, without the big wings of of an Optus Stadium or or the MCG, um, even if it is dry, do they do they still have that, um, I guess, offensive, uh, foot skill type talent to make that work at Marvel? And I'm hoping it'll that be, because yeah. yeah, it'll still be there, but mm-hmm. it, it's nowhere near as effective as they have at home or as we've seen at the MCG the other way because we you sort of looked at them playing that game against Melbourne, you look at going, this feels like they're playing in Perth. They, the the yeah. way they just moved that day, Melbourne was standing on, what are we doing? How do we stop this? And it was, it was an absolute onslaught toward the end. And um, it, you sort of think, look, they can still do that sort of thing. But as you mentioned, it's a bit of a smaller ground. that They really like to run. And they, they just love running the ball. Let, just let's not give them that space. Don't give them the opportunity to make them kick the ball over us. Just they're a very good defensive unit yeah. too. They they don't concede. Yeah. I mean, they're probably the best defensive unit in the comp in terms of points conceded. Uh, last week, I think it was a, a as good a result as we could have hoped for for their game last week, and that it looked like it was going to be a pretty comfortable win. They were six goals up, I think, and then ended up having to really fight it out, win by yeah. eight points on a six day break coming into our game. So that the fact that they had to really bust it late. Um, and then have the short turnaround coming to Melbourne. Hopefully that works a little bit in our advantage. But yeah, we got to, I know we always say it, especially with St Kilda, that we've got to take our chances because they don't give you a lot of them. Um, but I'm confident we should also be able to restrict to the number of chances they get at the other end. Um, and it is one, teams, if you, yeah. They're, yeah. They're one of those teams, I guess, a bit like us, but <clears throat> maybe slightly more advanced in that, in that um, journey. They're kind of, 
built on the Melbourne prototype, right? They rebound off half back. Mm-hmm. They've got solid wingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you look at, at any player who was who was um, perfect for the way that Fremantle want to play under Longmuir at Optus, I mean, it's Blake Akers. And, and you're seeing the way that he's playing at the moment. You look at guys like Travis Collier, um, the way that they move the ball and utilize that space in the wings and off half back. I mean, they're, they're kind of built on that Melbourne prototype with the, your Langdon and, and whoever else are off off uh, off half back and, and on the wing intercept marking. They're really good. They've got a couple of really solid defensive mark type options across half back, um, you know, as we do. And I think I think both of us kind of have our strengths and weaknesses. We're not you know not at Melbourne standard yet. Neither are Frio. I, I know Frio beat Melbourne, but um, they're, they're not Melbourne. That they're built in the same way. They're not quite as good. Neither are we. Um, and it's going to be a really interesting matchup to see kind of. Who's got the advantage in this particular matchup? We got the chocolates in round two, but you know, were there other contributing factors in, in that game? It's like you'd look, you compare the two, we're sort of very, as you're saying, very similarly built. Mm-hmm. It's and it sort of showed in the first game. It was it was a really tight match and sort of mm-hmm. it was it was just an arm wrestle for three and a half quarters, and we yeah, managed to get away a little bit for about half a quarter, and that gave us enough to lead and win. So it's Probably going to be very similar. Um, talk about how defensive both sides are. Yeah, Frio's the second best defensive and we're the fifth. So it's yeah. two teams that don't give up much points. Um, and the majority of our points came in about a three-week span. So yeah. if, if, uh, if we'd held yeah. a bit tighter those few weeks, we'd be almost up level with them at the moment. So it's and a King, King and Higgins very, with very a game similar. break. Yeah, King and Higgins yeah. were the game breakers in that match last time. Hopefully they can be again. And uh, before we get into the awards, probably my call to arms a little bit in, in this one. So I reckon assessing the situation. So leading into last week's game, we'd lost our advantage and we're probably marginally up against it in terms of making the finals. Not a write-off, but marginally up against it. I think beating Carlton has dragged us back into the it's in our own hands, 50-50 type scenario. If we beat Fremantle, then playing finals becomes the favoured result again for us. We can flip the narrative back in our direction. We're playing a top eight side, a potential premiership contender. I think they're probably the second best team in the comp um, on the balance of their consistency over the course of the year, them or Brisbane. Um, so I know, you know, you think of a, a Melbourne game on a cold Saturday night against Fremantle at Docklands, you know, there's a danger you get, you know, 20, 22,000 people at the game or something like that. I would be hoping we could get low 30s to this game, you know, but somewhere between 30 and 35, get a really strong contingent out there. I mean, it's been a couple of years since, you know, we've been going to the football regularly and, you know, we, we made a finals run in 2020 that no one could go to in, in Victoria. Uh, here we are fighting for massive opportunities for our club against a good team with a pretty, you know, relatively healthy list. Um, it, it is absolutely a reason to go to the footy and make that as hostile as possible for Fremantle because we need to win the game and um, we can help them get across the line. Uh, we look at some of our awards. That's so St Kilda. Um, for me, probably just a tweet from Tim Rosen where he sort of summed it up. How many times you could be nine and six with a percentage of 110 and not be in the eight? That's uh, that's so St Kilda. I doubt that would have ever happened before. I well, I think Swamp Swamp responded to that one actually. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's happened three times before, and we were one of the other three. So, <laughs> um, I don't remember what year I was? It might have been 2012 or something like that. But yeah, yeah, that so, sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. H20 I, I think. I was going to say, I think because of the way the draws work with the buyers now, that's that's um, where it's kind of changed. I think they might have been looking at eight eight win seasons or eight wins out before 
um, this buyer started to come along, yeah. that sort of thing. So it was not exactly to say. I think this is the or it was only the second time ever or that exact um, stat. So it was yeah. You're sort of looking going how how is that possible? That's um, just just sort of tells us the evenness of the season at the moment, and it's crazy. So. Yeah, I mean, you can add on top of that. I guess it, it, it's so secure that we're right in the middle of the pack when it's probably one of the most even seasons we've had for a long time. So it's a if we get we're going to be extremely unlucky to miss out in finals if we we can get twelve wins and still not make it. It's it's one of them seasons we it, you don't want to say it. it's almost like it's bound to happen and we miss out by percentage like we did to North the other year, like we. Um, I think we've the last two times we finished ninth. I think we finished behind North Melbourne, so it's been um, one of those things that we have been close quite often. So let's hope it's not so St Gilda or so Richmond, and we'll finish. Don't finish ninth. Um, yeah. The, no, go on. No, I was going to say the two seasons we finished ninth, we actually had twelve and ten records, which in other years would have got you in. So. Yeah, we're 12 exactly. and 10 won't get us in this year. So, um, yeah, 13 is a magic number. And probably you tie that into Collingwood winning every game they play by a point. Probably doesn't help. Yeah, so. um, there, were a couple, there were a couple of tweets over the course of the week of, of things that could be so secure, as, as there always are with, with this footy club. That's why that's why that so secure exists. But I had to go back to Hunter Clark, another facial injury after what he caught last year. Yeah, he was just starting to find some form as well. I thought, you know, we spoke about it late last year that he probably came back a little bit too early. He was, you know, when he, when he came back last year, he was a little bit timid. He was clearly not that confident in, you know, his face and his head and, and his jaw and all that sort of stuff. And, and you know, probably rightly so. Um, I, I'm not sure that I would have gotten up from that, that hit that he copped against Adelaide, let alone gotten up, had surgery and come back, you know, five weeks later or six weeks later. But another another facial injury at that extent. I mean, he was you know he's putting his head over the ball, he's hitting the contest hard. You can tell, you know, he's no longer fearful. He's no longer timid. He's he's putting his head over the. He's doing everything you want him to do, and it was just a single moment of bad luck. And Hunter Clark, you know, he, he's had a couple of moments of just bad luck, and that was another one for him. I guess you could add further onto there that it's so St Kilda. It was Jack Nunes that ducked out of the way. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, I'm not going to touch that one. Yeah, and um, it's just—it's always the way it goes. I think, unfortunately, that yeah, you could almost pick if someone was going to be in that position. It was like Higgins when he got his second concussion. That you know, wrong place, wrong time. Um, I want to give a special mention just before I launch into the other awards. I mean, we're often you know the program we call it as we see it. We're honest and and that appraisal, but. Uh, we've, we've all been pretty critical of Dan Butler. Good response. He played well. Um, that was a game very similar to 2020. He did his job, and that's what we want to see. Yeah. We're a better side when he plays well. Um, you'd love him to be entrenched in that best 22, and his contribution was great. He, you know, sometimes he, he gets a bit almost deer in the headlights around goals, but he took two clear opportunities and, and nailed them both on instinct, which was really good. And obviously, it's the, way he's, got, it's he was, the way he's got to play exactly. is that instinct. Yep. It's, it's what he did yeah. so well in 2020 when we were moving the mm. ball. It, that was yeah. what his job was. Yeah. yeah. Two goals, two goal assists. Mm-hmm. Get that most weeks from him. We're more than happy. That, that, that's, that's as simple as it is. If, if, if That sort of contribution, that I mean, that 
I don't know if we're going to get two goals from him every week, but two goal assists um, and just being in the right position, making the right decisions. And, and that's exactly what he did. It, pretty much every disposal he had, he pretty well made the right decision. Whereas other weeks, you've just looked and gone, oh God, what's he going to do here? Where's this going? And the handball over to Higgins was maybe a little questionable, but it got there and he kicked the goal. So we looked and go, well, he, he set the goal up. So it's a, yeah, that's a, it was actually a really good contribution for him. Certainly was. Um, and yeah, I think yeah, yeah, if we get that every week, we'll be uh, we'll be pretty satisfied overall. Uh, the other awards, Nick, if you want to kick us off with the uh, Jason Blake Award for the week. Tough one. I, I really wanted to give it to Marcus Windhager. I really, really wanted to give it to Windhager. And what's he got to do, him and Naz, what have they got to do for a Rising Star nomination? They've deserved it probably a couple of times this year. And, and you know, we're at that point of the year where they start giving it to you know the volume of performance over the course of the season, not just on single week performances. So I'm hoping that at least one of them will get the nod in, in the next few weeks, if not both of them. But this week, I've given the Shannon Noll Award a couple of times to the coaching staff and to Rats on some peculiar decisions and some coaching moves and whatever. But Brett Ratton clearly went into this game with a plan and it was clearly defined the players knew exactly what their roles were, whether you were Tim Embry, Max King, uh, Marcus Windhager, Jack Sinclair, Brad Hill, you knew what your role was, knew, you knew what was expected of you, and they went out and did it. And he came in with a plan to attack Carlton, to not sit back and try and weather a storm, not play defensive, not try and stop them playing their game, but the vision was to play our game. For four quarters, play our game. Doesn't matter what Carlton throw at you, you know that you trust your game plan, you trust your players to get the job done. And you, know, you, you saw the response after the game, uh, the way that he was talking about Wind Hager and the, the job that he did. Um, everybody knew their role and they played their role. And, and I thought it was probably the first time in a while that Brett Ratton has, has outcoached uh, another coach. I think it's probably the first time I've got a Carlton fan in the office, a massive anti-St. Kilda supporter. Um, Freely admitted that Ratten outcoached Voss. It was probably the first time all year that Voss has been outcoached. Um, and I thought Rats did a great job on Friday night. Yeah, loved him coming down to the bench to rally the troops when we were under 100%. the pump with player availability in the last quarter too. That was uh, that was terrific. Uh, H? A little bit of a combination vote this week. Um, just for the support and the consistency these two have given to us this year with players missing, players going down. They don't necessarily get the recognition every single week or get named our best every week. or But they just continue to be consistent week in, week out. And that it, it, it's Brad Crouch and um, Seb Ross together, the, working in the midfield together with the rest of the guys and just just giving us that output every single week. And they've, they, and they've, doing it without fail at the moment um averaging around like 27 touches of each a week or so at the moment and plenty of clear plenty of clearances tackles just the one percenters that they're just getting in there and drop jumping on the ball when it's loose and just just working hard but as i said they they don't necessarily get that 
recognition after every match. You don't see their names coming up in the best. You don't see that, but it's the same effort week in, week out at the moment. And they've both been really good. So I think together, those two as almost the support brigade in the, in the midfield, um, they've been huge. Brad Crouch, uh, I reckon his defensive yeah. efforts have surprised me to the point of, of nearly shocking me into how good he is <laughs> defensively. Because I knew, mm. I think we knew when we brought him over that he could win the footy. You know, it was a, clear, a bit of a clearance machine, knew how to get his hands on the ball, but his, his defensive work has been incredibly mm. good um, since the moment that he, he walked in, into the club. But this year, this season has gone to another level, his tackle levels, his running levels. I mean, they're off the charts and, and I'm really impressed with what Brad Crouch has, has brought to us. Uh, my um, Jason Blake award goes to Josh Battle, who playing a little bit Jason Blake-ish and that he's filling holes everywhere. A um, bit unheralded on the weekend. Obviously, he's played as that intercept defender most of the year. He had to go into the ruck at times. We've seen him in the past play forward. But all of a sudden, he had to play on the gorilla in Harry Mackay when, when Dougal Howard went down. And look, Harry had a couple of moments. Um, obviously, got one of the softest free kicks of all time. He kicked a couple out in the full. Um, so he could have potentially caused some problems. But Battle was pushing him wide, pushing him deep, outsized, but but fought hard. So um, I thought he gets due recognition for, for that. Um, hey, do you have a Shannon Knoll for us? It was a pretty good performance last week, but there might be some out there. It's a, it's a tough one. Um, mm. I, I, I've almost got to put it, say, to the injuries. Mm. Let's not get injured, boys. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, as, that's as hard, easy as I can say. We're, we're, we're playing good football, but we, we can't continue to play good football if we keep losing players. Um, our, our Shannon Noll Award has been a bit of a, I think, a good omen. That Normally, you, you give one and that player tends to, to be pretty good the following week so i'm hoping h that maybe that's oh. a uh yeah a let, let, a let's let's ride it let's get let's say uh, injuries have been terrible let's 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 ride it and yeah <laughs> hopefully they're better this week um because yeah, as you're saying there, there probably isn't anyone last week you say really needed to lift because everyone played their role and that's the only downside i think we had on the whole night my um my Shadow is, is in, an interesting one because you're right. I don't think anyone really had a down game. And, and Paco, you gave this, this man the your Jason Blake award. And for me, it's not so much a complaint. It's just we need more this week for a number of reasons. Josh Battle, you've had an incredible season. I, th- I thought that you were probably beaten last week. You haven't had your colours lowered most weeks. You've, you've been very, very good at centre-half back. But we need another – we need another – immense performance from you this week against a tall forward line, especially if Tabiner plays, but even if he doesn't, Lob's pretty dangerous up there. They've got a, they've got a dangerous forward line. We're, we're missing Dougal Howard again. Uh, we just need a big performance from Josh Battle, whether it's as a key defender or that third man up kind of intercept player, whatever your role is, we need a big game from you because it's, it's vital for us this week. I thought just a quick mention of some people who need to lift uh, that was possibly the worst umpired round of football that oh, I've ever seen. Yeah. Not just our game. Yeah. I thought our game was yeah. woeful, but across the, the entire round, I thought as a whole, the umpiring was disgusting. And Blues fans are outraged by every one of the nine free kicks we got. <laughs> yeah. Dan, Dan Butler needs to learn not to touch the ball at all before he gets tackled. 
Worst worst yeah, decision it, I think it, I've don't, ever don't seen. Don't tap it. <laughs> I, I thought the yeah. I thought the fifty meter against Tim Membry the week before against Sydney, where mm. he was about thirty meters away from the protected zone mm. and gave away the the fifty the fifty meter penalty. I thought that was possibly the worst decision I've ever seen. But that Dan Butler Dan Butler free kick against for holding the ball where he didn't even have the ball was I think beats it for worst decision. Well, at least in the Sydney line, game, yeah. at least in the Sydney game, there was one each because they had one called yeah. their way mm. as well. So, but that um, um yeah that that Harry Mackay free kick in the pocket, I'm still not actually sure what it was paid for. It was immediately after that head clash in the middle of the ground. I got no idea what that was paid for. Thankfully, he missed. But if anyone knows, because he just ran straight into battle, nothing yeah. happened. He just ran into him. But um anyway, yeah. um, we're, we're happy yeah. for him to be called, but you got to call them both ways. That's right, correct, and, that, and that's the well, issue. You can call yeah. those and then you can set the tone. You set the tone and go, well, that's what we're calling tonight. You've got to call both yeah. ways. You can't, you can't well, pay yeah. one at one end and then not pay it at the other. And you're going, um, what's happening? How, how do they get that? And then we don't. Well, that's it. And, and I'm, not, a, yeah. I'm not as fussed with the, the free kick numbers, you know, the, the no. 21-9, yeah. whatever, as long as the decisions are consistent. consistent. And not even, yep. not even across the whole round, not even across the whole week or the, the season. I mean, God forbid you could have a consistent season of umpiring, but um, just in the game, consistent in, the, the, in those three hours would be nice. I mean, that's, mm. that's all yeah. we ask for. Yeah. Um, my... Shannon Noel this week actually goes to, and, and look, it, it may not happen yet, but at the time of this recording, it looks a distinct possibility that uh, Dan Hanabry will actually play VFL. So it's kind of snuck up on us a little bit um, that it he may even It is that time of year. It is that time yeah, that's of year right. in the first so, kind of six or seven weeks of the year that he gives us a little bit of hope. And we know that he's, you know, his time at the club is probably winding down, but who knows if he is to have an impact and if he is to lift us, it has to start now. So um, you want more soldiers available. You want more options on the table. You want, you know, him at his best potentially. So uh, to Dan Hanabry, if he can go down there and perform, um, then it does create some some additional headaches. And that's what we would like to see. So fingers crossed he can deliver. Fingers crossed the club can deliver. Yeah. Yeah, I was he's, had, he's had the cow legs connected, so you should be right <laughs> to go. We actually did try to get the German doctor on uh, the program. Got a reply. It was just a bit busy. Um Fixing people's hamstrings over in uh, in Europe, so fingers well, if, crossed if, that maybe we can chat to him. If we if we win the flag and Hanabry gets the norm, then uh, <laughs> we'll be getting him on for sure. So. We'll fly to Germany. We'll fly to games, Germany. Even if he has one of those yeah. games like he did in in 2019, the the back end of 2019 where he had th- yeah. where he had 30 and kicked three. If he has one of those games. Yeah. I'm trying to get him get him on. Oh bloody oath! We'll, we'll get the uh, the the magic hamstring doctor on, um, or hamstring whisperer on, uh, a little bit later on in the season. But massive game, massive game, another finals like game against Fremantle. We're going to have heaps of these in the run home. But the more we win now, then obviously the less pressure on us later. So we can put the ship well and truly back on track. All four wheels on if we can win this game, and and away we go. So it's a big one. Get along to Marvel. Go Saints.